0: Good evening. Turn with me, if you will, to John 18. John 18. I prayed about what I could speak on tonight. This is the only passage that kept coming to me. It's it's a dear passage. I've turned to it often in my own thoughts because it's helped me so much. And so I just want to give a brief meditation kind of on this story here in the first part of John 18. Let's read this. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, and that's referring to the upper room discourse. You remember John fifteen sixteen, 15, um, well back even back into 14, um, you have all sorts of things about the Holy Spirit abiding in Christ. And then in 17, you have the high priestly prayer. This story is what immediately follows that. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine, of the Kidron, where there was a garden in which he entered with his disciples. Now, Judas also, who was betraying him, knew the place, for Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas then, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches, and weapons. So, here's the scene. Christ comes with His disciples, and He goes into this garden, and they're all there together. Judas takes a Roman cohort, which, generally speaking, usually, is going to be about 600 men. Now, that's a... I mean, again, we a lot of times we just read over these things, but you've got to imagine 600 people coming at 12 people actually coming at one person. And they're they're not just coming there, you know, to talk. They're armed. They've got torches and lanterns and weapons. It's a lot of people. You I mean, you've just got to envision this massive mob of people. Like, I doubt we're a hundred strong tonight. Um, but let's just, you know, roughly say, add a few more people here, and then times that, times six. Uh, times six. That's a lot of people that are descending upon this garden. And so that's the scene. Well, here's what happens. It says, so Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, we we jumped in mid-gospel here, but you know enough, most of you know enough about the gospels, you've read the story of Christ, that this thing, this sort of thing ought to come as a shock. Because Christ, Christ never defended himself he was always so unwilling to draw upon his power. The devil comes to him and says, "Turn this these stones into bread," and he refuses to do it. So many times throughout his life there's slander, the Pharisees are doing all these sorts of things, there's all these accusations. Some of the times they're even they're even saying things that they know would provoke Him. They're trying to provoke Him, and He doesn't budge an ounce. Not only does He not budge an ounce, but He never even gets close to drawing upon His power to defend Himself. And we know what immediately follows this. Immediately following this is going to be the crucifixion. As a matter of fact, just a few verses later here, in verse 12... It says, so the Roman cohort and the commander of the officer of the Jews arrested him and bound him and led him to Ananias first. All the way throughout his life, all the way up until this point, for 33 years, he has never once drew upon his power in this way to defend himself. A few minutes later, he is being led away like a lamb to the slaughter. He's so gentle and mild, he won't do a thing. They're saying all these accusations to him in court. He won't answer them a word. They scourge him. He doesn't open his mouth. They nail him to a cross. He refuses to retaliate. He even says, don't you know that I could call down a legion of angels right now? He didn't do that. (coughs) Throughout his life to this point, and thereafter this point, nothing like this ever happens. So what is going on here in this story, why is it that we get up into this point, 600 soldiers coming at Him, and Christ manifests just a, a glimpse of His glory? I mean, you know exactly what this is. This is, the, this is the stock definition of what's called a warning shot. Okay, It's just the slightest manifestation that you better be careful how you tread here. Because I can tear this place apart if I want to. And you can almost feel it in the the way that the Romans are talking to him. Um, I don't have time to go into this now. But you notice in verse 5, it says, that when the Romans, the first time they talked to him, it says, they answered him. And in verse 7, the second time they addressed him, it says, and they said. Now in John... When I read through John um, a couple of years ago and did an extensive study, I noticed that every time something harsh is said, that you can know from the context that these are, there's something jaded here, it's they answered him. Every time there's something gentle and a person's backing off, it's they said to him. There's a very real change in attitude here. In the first instance, this big Roman cohort, 600 strong, cocky, They're going to go have some fun with this Jew that they're about to pick up. And what happens? He says a couple of words, and all 600 of them are lying on their back. And I don't know if they were still lying on their back when Jesus demanded that they answer again. But this time it's, he says, tell me again, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus the Nazarene. You can feel a little bit of trembling here. It's like, please don't do that again. Please don't do that again. So what is going on here? You know, it's said that you can learn a lot about a person by understanding what it takes to make them fight. I think that's a pretty good... You know, what does it take to get a person angry enough to where they're willing to do something about it? So this gives us a glimpse into the, um, the heart of Christ. Christ. Here's what I believe it is, and I'll give you my reasons here in a moment. The reason that Christ manifested just even the slightest glimpse of His divine glory to let them know that He was in control, and that there were certain things that were going to happen in this garden, and there are certain things that were not going to happen in this garden, is because a trial was coming upon His disciples that they were too weak to face. That's the bottom line of what's happening here. Christ saw, if this cohort walks into this garden and gets me, we're fine. But if this cohort walks into this garden and gets these disciples, He knew that at that time, at that point in their life, their faith was so weak that that arrest would have probably meant shipwreck for their faith. They wouldn't have made it. And so Christ meets them head on, Manifest His glory to show them. You're not going to touch them. You can have me, but you will not be touching them. You know, I thought of this because I um, preached over with uh, a brother there in Lagrange this past Sunday, and they just had a baby the Wednesday before. And so he, they invited me over afterwards, and I was sitting there at their house. And the mom said, "Would you like to hold the baby?" And I said, sure. And I went for the baby, and she gave me a look. Now, some of you know what that look is. <laughs> the look is, wash your hands first. Right? You go to any mother, and she's got a newborn baby, and you reach out your hands, she holds the baby back, and she gives you the look. Go wash your hands. Why is that? It's because a child that's weak, there are some things that they're not ready to face. And that's exactly what is going on here with these disciples. Notice this. Notice that the very first thing Christ does is He puts a little bit of distance between the disciples and the the soldiers. Notice verse 4. It says, So Jesus, knowing all of the things that were coming upon Him, went forth. And said to them, You see that? Christ doesn't even let the soldiers get close enough to cause a problem. So He leaves the soldiers here. He goes forth because He knows. This is amazing. He knows the exact distance to keep those Romans away from His disciples. So that He can preserve their faith. He meets them head on. Notice this. In verse 7, after he has manifested his glory, all the Roman cohort is laying on the ground. He demands it again. He says, therefore, he asked them again, whom do you seek? You see that? He said, okay, now listen, I want you to say it again. Say it again that I'm the only person that you're coming into this garden for. I want you to say it again. This is probably the only time a Jewish man commanded the Roman army. It's pretty remarkable. Christ has enough glory. And oh, this was so slight. I mean, this is nothing. This is like when you're sitting in a dark room and the fan's blowing. And the fan just kind of blows the curtain just enough that a little ray of sunlight comes in. That's what's going on here. This is very slight, but it's enough to knock down 600 grown men. And when he does, and when he has them on the ground, he has them in the exact position that he wants them, he commands that entire army. All right, say it again. Nobody's leaving this garden except me. You will be leaving them alone. Again, it's remarkable. Notice the clear statement in verses 8 and 9. It says, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek Me, let these go their way to fulfill the word which He spoke of those whom you have given Me. I lost not one. What a story. What a story. You never, ever, ever see anything like this in the life of Christ before this. And you never see anything like this in the life of Christ after this. But when He is brought into a situation when His disciples come into this situation where it looks like their faith is going to be jeopardized, He's willing to do whatever it takes to send a very clear message, I'm in control here, and you're not going to touch them. There would come a day when they would be able to be touched. There would come a day when they would face intense persecution, but they weren't ready for it yet, and Christ was not willing To allow anything that they were not ready for. This should be a great encouragement to us. The lesson, the encouragement is very clear. And it's this. Is that Christ never leaves the weak disciple. And Christ never puts one of his disciples in a situation. Where he knows it's going to cause their faith to be shipwrecked. Now that's important. And it's important because of this. Is because a lot of times when we're going through trials, a lot of times when we're facing difficulties, it feels like that He has left us vulnerable. It feels like that surely I'm about to lose ground here. Surely this could be the end of me. But here's what we need to remind ourselves of, and we know this from the rest of the Bible. We need to continually remind ourselves of all that Christ has kept us from, right? There have been many things in our life, we don't know them, I believe we'll know them in eternity, but there have been many things in our life that the adversary of our souls, the devil himself, would have loved to have brought upon us, and would have brought upon us, had not our high priest been standing right there to say, absolutely not, you better not take a step closer, there have been so many things like that in our life. And we must believe that by faith. We see that in the life of Job. We see that God knows exactly how close he will let the devil get. get. And the devil's chomping at the bit. The devil's chomping at the bit to get in there and to do all of the harm that he can. And God says, you may go this far, but you can go no further. You can go no further. That's the reality that we have to bring ourselves back to when we're facing trials, is that you know whatever I am facing in this moment. Number one, Christ knows me. He doesn't just say he causes, it doesn't just say he calls on, it says he calls on sheep by name and leads them out. He doesn't just know the body in general, but he actually knows each individual Christian. He knows your heart. And even better, and more encouraging, He knows your weaknesses. Christ didn't leave them there. Think of Peter. I mean, I'm so glad that this was included in Scripture. Think of Peter denying the Lord. Okay? So that's very clear. If you want to talk weakness, you want to talk about failure of faith, that is weakness and failure of faith. But when Mary... And the other women see Christ at his resurrection. What does Christ say? Does he say, Go tell the disciples? Well, he says that, but he says something else. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Think of that. He was a disciple. Why not just say, Go tell the disciples? He was a disciple. It's all inclusive. No, he wants to reiterate something Go tell the disciples and Peter. Tell Peter, I'm not done. I'm not going to throw him away and then Christ sits down with him at breakfast and he talks with him and he builds him back up through tearing down self. But the point is this is Christ does not leave him in his weakness. He knows how to carry broken reeds without breaking them. It's really amazing. And so this is what we need to remind ourselves We need to take ourselves back to stories like this in Scripture when we're, when we're in the midst of trials and remind ourselves that God knows us just as we are. He knows our weakness and He knows the exact point that we would be broken. He knows just how far to let this trial go to where it will benefit us by making us stronger, possibly tearing away things that don't need to be there, possibly giving us encouragements of faith, usually doing both. But he knows just how far to let a trial go before it would break us. And he stops it right there. He goes out to meet that trial and says, this far and no further. And what's amazing here, what's just encouragement on top of encouragement, is that he can get the job done. It's not like there's something that comes upon him. There's some situation that presents itself to him to where he finds himself scrambling for how to get things reeled in. He says two words and 600 grown men are lying on their backs and he starts commanding the Roman army of what they will and will not be doing. That's power. You don't contest that kind of power. You ask permission for that kind of power which is what the Romans ended up having and doing. We're here for Jesus the Nazarene. We confess. It's only you. We're going to leave with you. We're not leaving with them. It's very clear at this point. Very clear. Christ knows how to take care of weak disciples. And so when you feel weak, you need to know that this is your shepherd. The one who did this way back in this, this book, This is exactly what He still does today. As our great high priest, risen, enthroned, standing at the right hand of God, He commands every molecule on this earth for your good. And when you're weak, He knows how to say this far and no further. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much for Your kindness, for Your oversight. God, thank You so much. Thank You for the stories in this Bible. Thank You for giving us these stories. Lord, I pray that You would bring them to mind continually throughout the rest of this week. Lord, tomorrow, Friday, Lord, as we grow tired and weary, as perhaps we do grow stronger, Lord, whatever we face, I pray that we would trust in the Christ who helps weak disciples. We bless you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.